This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. And you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to Albion Analysis with me, Chris Hall and him, Pete George. Well, it's like one week on, one week off at the moment. Albion's Jekyll and Hyde kicked in again after fantastic performances at home. The wonderful win over Blackburn, scoring four goals. Albion go on the road and Albion do what Albion do on the road, Pete. And I think that's pretty much going to be the focus of the majority of this uh, of this pod today, to be honest, is why is there such a drop off between Albion at home and Albion away? I mean, we will look at the the Norwich game specifically, but to give you the numbers, Albion's home form is the fifth best in the division. Played fourteen, won nine, drew three, lost two. Um, that's thirty points, twenty four scored, eleven conceded. The away form is the sixteenth best in the division. Played 14, won four, drew three, lost seven, scored 16, conceded 16, and points 15. It's worth saying, Pete, from the off, that whilst people are losing their heads slightly over Albion's away form, probably because we've we've lost three on the spin away, it's not abysmal. And I think you've got some, some data on this on how, on average, teams perform away from home. We're not performing abysmally away from home in terms of results and points gained, are we? But what we are doing is performing around about average, and we don't want to be average this season. We want to be top six. And at the moment, our home form, which is only bettered, it won't surprise you to know, by the actual top four. Um, I don't. Th- I think you're going to do well to better Southampton, Leicester, Leeds, and uh, and Ipswich's form at all but we're only really bettered by those teams at home which is remarkable really for Albion to be up there in that conversation with them but away from home we're performing largely like a like a lower mid-table team aren't we and it, it leads to the home form doing a heck of a lot of heavy lifting in our season yeah that's basically the gist of it I think sometimes there's maybe some misconceptions about how easy it is to to win away from home if you take a, a massive sample of games and the home team generally wins 50% of the time, there's a draw about 22% of the time, and then there's an away win 28% of the time. And if you look at our games this season, we've played 14 away from home, won four, drawn three, and lost seven. So if you t- take that percentage terms, we've won 29%, uh, drawn 21%, and lost 50%, which is basically exactly in line with the averages of if you take it over a much bigger sample size for 
all clubs. So yeah, we're performing about average. And you say we're 16th in the table in the away the away game table, but you know we're 16th on 15 points, and there's like about five clubs ahead of us on 16 points, and then two on 17. So it's not like there's a big points gap between us. And yeah, the, the issue is we're performing average, but I think the expectations for the season aren't for West Bromwich Albion to be average. I think Albion fans want to be pushing for the playoff spots in the top six, and yeah, we're, we're having to perform really well at home. Um, and the the points per game difference between our home games and our away games is the second biggest in the league. Only Plymouth have got a bigger difference in away result, home results to away results. And because of that, we're we're relying on those home results to take us to where we are in the league. We're averaging one point six one points per game this season for both home and away games. And if you take that over a whole season, it's going to get you around seventy four points, which is you know you're going to be very close to the playoffs with that, um, if not in the playoffs. But the problem with that is that, you know, with every poor away result we have, it's putting more pressure on each home game to keep up the fantastic form that we've got going at home. So it's, yeah, it's, it's something that we need to improve if we want to secure the playoffs, I think. And just to say, Pete, the home form is even more crazy when you take into account how much the top four are running away with this league. And we've actually played three of the top four already at home. So it's not like we've just played easy games at home either, is it? No, we're we're excellent at home, and like I say, that is what's has got us into the playoff spots. And yeah, we that's what we need to continue. We need to continue that fantastic home form, especially if this away form is going to continue. I think if we carry on like we are, both in home and away performance results, and I think we probably will make the playoffs. But you know, it's going to be it's going to be a bit of a sweat, and it's not going to be very uh, it's not going to be too enjoyable for. For us Albion fans, especially the ones that travel to the away games. Um, well, it's also worth mentioning, Pete, that we've if we do make the playoffs, we've got to win a two-legged tie, <laughs> one, one, one game of which will be away from the Hawthorns. Yeah, that's the other aspect of it. And then if you if you do manage to win that two-legged tie, then I suppose it's it's not far off being another away game, having to travel down to London to play at Wembley. So, well, especially with our with our record current record at the new Wembley, played two, lost two. Yeah, so it's um. It's something that I'm, I'm sure Corbran will be very aware of it and be trying to fix it. Because if he can fix that and keep the home form, then yeah, I think we'll, we'll basically be guaranteed a, a playoff spot. Because currently the the away form and results is is really the only thing that's kind of dampening our season. Um, we've been absolutely brilliant at home. Like you said, we've beaten some some very good teams at home and had some extremely dominant performances. So if we could perform like we do at home, in those away games, then, um, yeah, we'd be flying. I think the main point is that we're performing about average for, for away, for away games based on home advantage. But yeah, we don't want to be average. We want to have a form that's similar to our home form and, and really fighting for the, well, not even, not really fighting. If we do improve the away form, then, then yeah, we'll just kind of be securing the top six rather than fighting for the top six. Obviously, we've uh, many of you will have seen we've set up uh, our Substack. We've got some. Uh, we've already got some articles on there. There's a. There's been a couple this week uh, on Andreas Weiman having a really deep dive look at our new signing. Somebody we will talk about um, shortly. Uh, but uh, after he played his first game for the or made his first appearance for the club against Norwich, but. One of the things that we're going to look at this week is is just what Pete's been talking about there. Pete will be putting out the detail of all those numbers around Albion's away form that he's just gone through there. And 
I will also be doing a, an article on exploring the reasons why Albion are not performing quite so well away from home as they are at home. And Pete, I, I mean, without sort of stealing the thunder of my article, but look, you know, uh, not everybody wants to uh, to, to read all the uh, all the pieces, and some people want to read the pieces instead of instead of listen to the pod. So we like to cater for everybody here. I thought it was really interesting when I looked at the numbers. I, mean, I came away from the Norwich game and I thought, I don't feel like we deserve to lose that 2-0. So I went into, straight into the numbers and I wasn't massively shocked to see we won the XG battle. I think it was 1.6 to, uh, to 1.5 in our favour. And then I started going through and three of the last five away defeats, we've won the XG. We won the XG against Norwich, we won the XG against Swansea, and we won the XG against Southampton. Now, Middlesbrough and Sunderland are the two outliers uh, from that, and I'm not going to pretend anything other than we were absolutely terrible in those two games and definitely, definitely deserved um, to, to, lose, to lose the matches. But those, uh, you know, I mean, you're going to have games like that. You're going to have te- games where, 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 you're, where you're bested. Middlesbrough just was we was a very very poor performance against what i have to say a very very good side and sunderland i think our game plan just got absolutely exploded by that josh madger injury very early on and and i and i felt we we made the wrong substitution at the point at which he had to go off as well but either way even if we lose those two games and play really poorly and lose them the, if we if we go to Norwich, Swansea, and Southampton and get what we deserve, uh, um, and by virtue of the numbers, we did deserve more than we got, then nobody questions the away form, do they? Just to put it into perspective, against Norwich, we missed 0.99 of XG at 1-0 down. We've got to go 1-1 in that period of the game. At Swansea at 0-0, we, we generated 1.57 XG and didn't score. And at Southampton, after they went 2-1 up, bearing in mind there was only 11 minutes left, we created 0.62 XG and didn't equalise. Now, realistically speaking, I, what I'm saying here is that we should go 1-1 against Norwich. Now, what happens after then, you can debate. But I, I felt we were in the ascendancy and I would have genuinely backed us to have gone on and possibly even got a second at, at 1-1. Against Swansea... All the data shows if Albion score the first goal in a game, we are extremely likely to go on and win the game. And against Southampton, I mean, if you if you equalise sometime in that last 11 minutes, you almost certainly get a point. So I think, you know, what we're effectively saying is you, we should have picked up five uh, five more points from the last five away games than than we have. Now, I suppose the point that I was reaching towards here is why? Why haven't we picked up those points? And I really do think it. it's very, very simple, Pete. We're missing chances away from home that we just don't miss at home. Corbran came out after the game and said, if you, if you create chances but don't, uh, don't score them, if you think the word he used was opportunities, if you don't take your opportunities and then you're very poor when the opposition transition, then you're not going to win games. Bomber Brown on Radio WM, you know, really boiled it down to a very simple but extremely, extremely good point. And that was, you know, if you don't take your chances, goals change games and you won't win football matches. We have done enough in Southampton, Norwich, 
and Swansea to get more out of that game, to score more goals than uh, than we did. We should have at least drawn all three of those fixtures. We've lost all three. And I just think it is really as simple, Pete, as poor performances in the final thirds, poor finishing at one end, and some really quite silly mistakes that we don't seem to make at home at the other end. And I have I have to say that when you put it like that, it just feels to me like, are we starting to get a bit of a mentality issue at home? Because, sorry, away from home, because we're not doing these things at home. Yeah, it's, if you don't take your chances and don't score goals, then you're, you're going to struggle to win games or, or even draw them. You know, I think in the first 15 minutes or so before Norwich scored on Saturday, we were the better side and, and probably had a couple of chances that had we taken them, then it probably would have been a completely different game. Um, you know, after that, you could actually give the ball away and, and Norwich score and that changes the game. They can sit back a bit deeper and um, it makes it more difficult for us to well, create chances. Not, not just a bit deeper, Pete. They, 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 they sat back so far. I think they were, they were practically in France at one point. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, and that's the issue. It's, if you concede that first goal, which we do far too often, especially away, f- away from home, um, we've conceded the first goal in seven out of our 14 away games. And three of those have been in the first 15 minutes. And if that happens, then it just it allows those teams that we're playing against to drop deeper, um, like we saw with Norwich, and just try and make it really difficult for us to create chances. And then they've got the threat of hitting us on the break, which isn't far off what happened, really. Um, Norwich yeah, sat deep and we were basically limited to creating chances through crosses which you know it's not the most effective way of creating chances it's not the easiest way to score goals um you can put in a lot of crosses you know the cross has got to be a good cross somebody's got to get onto the end of it they've then got, got to have a, a good shot and it's probably a bit easier to defend than it is if you maybe play a pass into the box and get a chance that way so true but then again pete we, we generated enough xg actually from those crosses into the box i know i know we're going to talk a little bit a bit about connor townsend uh later on but i mean it, he he generated a lot of chances from that left hand side and we really we really should we really should sort of score one of them shouldn't we yeah absolutely it's, it's i'm not trying to excuse it that we definitely should have scored a goal and but all I'm saying is it's it's not the most effective way to create chances yes we did create them and we had a good expected goals um, tally, but had the game not been that way, had I been taking the lead and maybe Norwich had to come out a little bit more, then I imagine we'd have created a few chances that are more favourable to the way that we like to score goals. And maybe even if DK was a bit bit fitter, he could have come come on a bit earlier and been more of a threat from us crossing the ball into the box than than Tom Sante probably was. Um, especially against just forgotten his name, uh, the Irish centre back. Oh, Duffy, 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 yes, yes especially against Duffy. Um, for Norwich, who's very good in the air, um, and yeah, it's 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 one of those where it comes down to it being as simple as you don't take your chances and you you don't win games. And if the opposition takes the chance first before you do, then it's it's going to change the game for you and, and make it a lot more difficult. Yeah, abs- absolutely. And I suppose the other the other thing with 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 all of this, Pete, is that and you talked about it before that it is small margins. And I, I, I mean, I think it's important to say that because some of the stuff I'm seeing on social media is Corbrand's got to change his approach. He's got to do something different to, uh, away from home. But tactically, we're not setting up any differently away from home to what we're setting up at home from what I can see. The personnel is not differing particularly in any real way unless 
it's enforced or or due to fitness and i i don't know i i just think it, the players are the problem i i just think they're not they're making mistakes away from home that they're not making at home i i don't think there's any any major tactical issue going on i think as i say Corbran is setting up in a way that is extremely successful at home. He's setting up pretty much exactly the same way away from home from what uh, from what I can see. And okay, it's worth acknowledging that there is probably a differing approach from the home side versus when those same sides come to the Hawthorns. They're probably not as ambitious and it probably does help us sort of settle into the game and we're less likely to concede that early goal at the Hawthorns and, and all that sort of thing. So maybe, maybe Corbrand does need to tweak something there. But I don't know, I, I, when, when I'm looking at data and I'm seeing us beat them in the XG week in, week out, and all, uh, and basically all I'm seeing is that that um, that we're making errors at the back and we're missing big chances up top. I'm thinking, well, what can Corbran do about that? I mean, he's not sending them out there to make mistakes. He's not. He 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 can't finish the chances for them. I mean, yeah, okay. He is he is the manager, and ultimately, it falls on his shoulders to find a solution to this problem. But I do feel like he must be tearing his hair out because what is working phenomenally well at home, he's deploying exactly the same tactics away from home, from what I can see, Pete, and it's and the players are failing him. To, uh, from my to my eyes, anyway. Tell me what you think. Yeah, I think at home, obviously, everything's working and it's going well. But then you look at, at the game against Norwich and the first 15 minutes, I thought we looked slow. I don't think we looked good, but we were the better side and things were going well until Yakuzlu played a poor pass with his weaker foot and with the situation of where everyone was on the pitch, it's probably a pass he... Probably shouldn't have tried anyway. It's too risky and too much space in the middle of the pitch for Norwich to go and counter if they did win the ball from it. So I think that goes down to a Yakuzhalu mistake. Norwich then go and counter, do it really well, play a good pass, and Sergeant Times has run perfectly. Um, and they go and score, and it comes from one sloppy pass. It's not like it's not like we were poor and Norwich were dominating us and creating loads of chances. And Albion player made a mistake, and and then to be fair to Palmer as well, he probably should have done better with his shot as well. So it's a couple of mistakes from Albion after a, a first 15 minutes that was that was decent. It's not like we were out getting outplayed for the first 15 minutes and Norwich completely deserved their goal. Um, it's not like, it was not like Middlesbrough away where you felt the goal was coming or, or Sunderland away for that matter. It was a completely different game. Nor- Norwich, Swansea, the, these are games where you felt like we were very much in it at the start of the game, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. So if you look down, look at performance rather than just result, it's not, it wasn't terrible. And yeah, goals changed games. We made a mistake. Norwich capitalised on it and that changed the game from there. So that comes down to the players not making those mistakes. Um, had you could not given that ball away, had Palmer made a save, had, um, Kipra intercepted the pass, whatever. Well, I was going to say, can I throw, whilst we're talking about the goal, can I throw one more element into this? I know that it is a tactic of uh, Corbrand's to have one centre-half sweep behind the other one, but surely Kipre cannot be a yard deeper than the rest of the back four at the point at which that ball's played through. Because, I mean, Jono and um, and Jez on the commentary were like, that's got to be offside. And I think that's what we all thought until we saw that one final angle 
and we realised the reason that they weren't offside is because Kipre had had dropped in behind Bartley to sweep up in case there was a ball clipped over the top. But you just and I realise it's a tactical we've, we've deployed a lot this season, but you can't you can't go that early, can you? There's, there's three massive mistakes in that goal for me. It's a horrendous pass from Yukoslu, which completely kills us. I mean, Townsend is way up the field and leaves us so exposed in that left-hand channel, which Sargent is a really clever player and he uses it really, really well. I don't understand why Kipre has dropped as early as he has and he plays him on side by a mile. And then you're absolutely right. Palmer's got to save it. That Those, for me, are the three big mistakes in the goal. And it's something that um, I mentioned in the opposition analysis did a Norwich on our substack is... I think they have played the fourth most through boot through balls um, penalty of anyone any team in the division. So I said that Albion need to make sure that the back line is organised, and um, especially when we're playing a higher line, which we like to do, we've got to get that spot on. And Kipre being a yard or two deeper than the rest of the line is, yeah, that's a mistake. You're coming up against Norwich, who like to play through balls. It's it's one that they're going to punish you with, and you know Josh Sargent's a very good. Uh, striker if he gets a chance he's you know he's he's more than likely going to finish it um maybe he shouldn't have done like you said if Palmer had made the save but either way we made a couple of mistakes in there and that's that's what happens you give away a goal and then that changes the game from there on out so it wasn't particularly it wasn't a particularly poor performance to start off with um like I said I thought we looked slow and we didn't look good but I think we we're probably the better side and we were in control and then you have some mistakes and you make some mistakes the game changes and and you lose it from there. So, yeah, it's it's annoying. Our waveform isn't good enough. Um, it's about average for the league, like we've said, but it's not good enough for where we want to, where we want to be on the table. Um, but I don't think it's I don't think there's any need for any kind of meltdown. We're still in the top six. Um, it wasn't a terrible performance like Middlesbrough away was, or um, Sunderland wasn't good either. But it's another away game that we've lost, and it's something that Albion need to work to improve that away record. Talk about your costly for a, for a minute, Pete, because look, we all know what okay your costly brings to the party. He is for for me, he is one of the best defensive midfielders in the division. I'm you know I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say he's the best because it, it wouldn't be fair of me. I don't you know I don't watch enough of people like Wilfred and Didi and uh, and Ethan Ampadu and people like that uh, you know uh, to to say whether 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 Yukoslu is better or, or worse than them but there's there's no doubt in my mind that probably 75% of the division would take okay Yukoslu and and want him to be in in their side he's a phenomenal footballer at this level however what we have seen from y- okay Yukoslu is when he is not at full fitness whether that is just coming back from injury or whether that is due to fatigue where we kind of ran him into the ground a bit at times last season and and we we do see an enormous drop off in his performances now we 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 found out after the game that Yukoslu had back back spasms in the warm up and that there was a big question mark over whether he would start Yukoslu himself fair play to him wanted to perform for the team and wanted to go out there and and play and told Corbran that he was fit to play and he wanted to play. Now, obviously he had to come off, although Corbran says it was a, it was an unrelated um, thing. He said he had, I think he he, he had a problem with his ankle during, uh, during the game, but even so, even before Yukoslu went over and, and stayed down and decided he had to come off, 
he was miles off it, Pete. It wasn't just the pass for the goal. It was it he was he was a shadow of the 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 wonderful turkish powerhouse we usually have in midfield you know he constantly gets described as a rolls royce and that's absolutely what he is and he he's just he's so good and so strong and unplayable at times he looked weak and meek and his passing was nowhere against um, against norwich and and as i say it's not the first time we've seen this when okay Koslu is well below full fitness. I know it's very easy with hindsight, but I mean, we we do this we do this podcast. We generally record on on a Sunday after a Saturday game, so we always have the benefit of hindsight. And with the benefit of hindsight, Pete, he shouldn't have played, should he? It's really difficult there as well because obviously he was nowhere near as good as we expect him to be and wanting him to be. Um, probably because of that um, injury in the warm up, but the drop off from him to Chalaber, if you're asking them to do exactly the same role is is massive they're both good players in their own right but they're not I don't think they're particularly similar as players um, and that's a fair point because I mean Chalaber's utter lethargy in getting back is is a big part of the second goal isn't it yeah and I think he goes to try and make a tackle interception um, in that second goal and watching it back you just think if that was your Kuzla who would have made that and we'd have been Stop the attack and probably being on a counter attack. Um, and with the one that you gave away for the Nor- the first Norwich goal, it was again. If, it felt like if you switched the two central midfielders round and had Alex Moat in that position, trying to play that pass on his left foot, um, he probably would have completed the pass. And if he hadn't, then you got your back, and he's probably going to help a little bit more with defending the transition. Um, I'm not sure Moat could have done anything with the transition because it was played to the opposite side of the pitch of him anyway, but. Um, it just that that uh, transition for Norwich. It just felt like Yukushli found himself in a position that maybe he shouldn't have been in. Um, it felt like it was a position that Moat usually finds himself in, kind of ahead of the the back line when we've got the ball in the opposition's half. Um, usually it's Moat that's getting more involved, and Yukushli that's kind of sitting back, waiting to sweep up any transitions or offer just a, a passing outlet if we can't go forward. But, but apart from that, yeah, he's, he wasn't anywhere near what we expect of him because usually he's excellent but he looked yeah he just didn't look on it and it probably makes a bit more sense now that we know that he had the back spasm in the warm-up but saying that I, th- I thought everyone looked slow to start with anyway so maybe it's a case of that um flu or illness or whatever it was that was spreading around the camp kind of taking a bit of a toll on everyone and yeah and we've, we've kind of got to defend Chalabra a little bit here as well because he he was one of those that was ill in the week wasn't he yeah, so it's always going to bring down your energy levels a bit. So, yeah, there's not too much you can say on that other than it's going to impact the, the overall performance. But with Yukushlu, yeah, it's, I think it's a really difficult one for Corbran, whether he's, he pulls him out the start in 11 after he knows he's he's had that, that injury. I'm also not sure what the actual rules are in terms of can he then be on the bench after they've submitted the starting 11s. No, I don't think he can. I think I think you either withdraw him completely and uh, and put the extra man in, or 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 he's he's not on the bench. So I I I think it's it's either a severe enough injury for him to come out of the team, or it's uh, or or it's not. Um, although although I suppose we 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 all go back to was it the um, the nineteen ninety eight World Cup final where uh, Ronaldo was what uh, initially on the bench and then and then was in the starting eleven. So uh, I don't know I don't know it's it's one of those we'd have to we'd have to check check the rules. I mean just on this Pete, obviously we've had some pretty 
pretty big news this week as well that um, Jason Malumbi's looks like he's going to have surgery on an injury that could be up to three months. I mean, three months at this stage of the season is pretty much your season done. I would suggest you're right. Nobody else can do the role that your cost can do. And we're well aware of how little money and resources we have, but I mean, we, we ended up having to shift focus in the transfer window last season because Phillips got injured. We wanted a striker. Phillips then got injured and we, and we felt we couldn't go after a striker and instead we we went off after a winger because of because of Phillips's injury. Do you envisage a similar sort of situation now because Malumbi was the obvious replacement for for Yukoslu. He's he's the one who's tigerish in the challenge. He's he's the one who who would be able to I mean, not do all the things that Yukoslu can do because he's just not as disciplined as him, but certainly do some of them. Now that we've lost him for the season and we know how vital Yukoslu is to what we do, do we need a, a Yukoslu alternative in, in in this window? Are we are we extremely light in that central midfield area because we had young Harry Whitwell again on the, on the bench at the weekend, and and I, I would suggest that's going to end up being a fairly regular occurrence um if if we don't get anybody in yeah we're starting to look a little bit light in there aren't we the Malumbi news is terrible must be really frustrating for him because he's not had too many minutes this season so to pick up a almost season ending injury is is yeah must be really frustrating um and I know it is as an Alvin fan especially with the the match coming up on Sunday I would have loved to see Malumbi involved in a match like that I just think he'd really relish it and with his energy and and commitment, but talking about the championship season, yeah, it's it's maybe time to change focus of what we're looking for in the transfer window because I can't imagine we've got the budget for for much more than one signing. Obviously, we've we've got Vyman in on loan already, but Gobran's been vocal in saying he wants to get another another attacking player in. It seems to be that what he wants is going to be a, an out and out winger. Um, but if we can only afford to sign one player, then maybe that focus has got to change and and go towards. A central midfielder, and particularly a defensive midfielder, that can cover for Yakuzlu. But I suppose the other aspect of it, of it is that if we do lose Yakuzlu for a period of the season, from what I'm hearing at the minute, I don't think it's it's meant to, the injury is meant to keep him out for um, no, much no. Time. The, su- the suggestions I've had is that it is that it's not it's not overly concerning. That's that's certainly the indications that that I've had. But but nonetheless, Pete, injuries can happen. Any time, and also we, as I say, we saw last season that if you if you if you flog too much out of uh, OK Koslu, he gets heavily fatigued and his his levels drop. Yeah, but I th- and I think this season he's looked very fit and those energy levels haven't seemed to have dropped. And um, I mean, he has been taken off around the seventy eighty minute marks in a few games, but in general, I think he's looked he's looked fitter than we've seen him. But if he, he if we do lose him to injury at some point in the season. And we can't afford to get a defensive midfielder in in this window and a winger that Corbran said he wants. Then I suppose the the other opportunity is to change the formation and, and change the way that you set up, um, defend in a different way and build up in a different way and use the bodies that you've got there. We've seen Corbran go to about five in the past and had a fair bit of success with it. So maybe we could go back to that. And and it's still. There's still limited bodies that can play in that central midfield role because you know we're only playing with two of them really. Swift's a bit more of an attacker when he plays than a central midfielder. You could drop him back, but 
I suppose the other thing you could do, Pete, is um, is you could you could when he comes back from the Afcon, you could drop Semi Ajayi in there. He he did play centre mid quite a lot for Rotherham. Yeah, I was thinking that, but I just don't know if he's good enough on the ball, especially in tight areas. Um, yeah, he did play as a defensive mid- midfielder for Rotherham, but what was that about four or five years ago now? I think and he's he's never looked great in that position for us, has he? No, and he's not spent a lot of time in there, which. You know, probably makes sense when you think that he's not been great in there for us. So it's an option, but I, I don't think it's an option that we'd really want to use. Um, I think we'd be more likely be inclined to get a, another centre back on the pitch and, and go into a back five rather than a back four and help defend there. Maybe you can push one of the fullbacks inside when we're attacking just to cover that kind of space that you usually, usually would to protect us from counter attacks. Um, there's different options of what you can do, obviously. and I suppose that's the benefit of having someone like Carlos Corbran as your manager. He's he's going to be thinking about every kind of um, every kind of potential situation and how he could change things to to make it work. It's not like we're we're stuck to a formation and, and system where nothing's going to change. If you got an injury, you're just going to swap that player out and put another player in, and it's going to be square pegs in round holes. Um, I imagine with Corbran, if if we did have an injury to someone important like Yakushlu, then and we didn't have a a player there that can naturally fill that kind of role rather than just position. Obviously, Chalisba's a central midfielder, but he plays a different role to you. Because if we don't have a if we don't have a player that's going to fill that role naturally, then maybe he changes the system and it creates a system where the players that he has got available to him fit into the roles of that system. So everything's a bit more natural. Um, yeah, that's the benefit of having a, a manager that's I'd say very um, analytical and adaptable as well. So I trust Corbran to make the right decision in terms of uh, incomings in the transfer window and whether we do need to prioritise that central midfield role um, over a winger. Personally, I think he'll still still favour a winger. Um, so do I. So do I. He's not he's not made any indications that, that Malumbi means a centre mid coming in. Whereas where, whereas he was quite quick when Phillips got injured last January to say that, sh- that shifts our focus, didn't he? Yeah, exactly. And to be fair, Malumbi's not played a lot of minutes this season. Obviously, it's... it's Nice to have him there as a a backup or a different option, but it's not like we've we've lost a player to injury that's been playing seventy five percent of minutes. We've lost a player that's without looking. I'd guess maybe twenty five, thirty, maybe even forty percent of minutes, but don't think anywhere higher than that. So he's a very good player, obviously player of the season last season, but he's not been a crucial player this season. Luckily, away days are great. But there's nothing quite like playing at home especially with Albion's home record under Carlos Corbran. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Just something I want to I want to come back to, um, Pete. You you talked before about how away form versus versus home form, and uh, and how actually on average teams don't pick up that many points away from home. I think uh, you know we, we we both know that the the major outlier in this is the, is the COVID season when supporters weren't in grounds, and it it genuinely went to. It genuinely went to being as simple as the better team usually won, as opposed to the home team having some huge advantage from from being uh, from being at home and it being some sort of a leveler. And 
part of that, obviously, or a big part of that was how much crowds influence refereeing decisions. I'm kind of laboring to a point here, and that is that Corbran was quite upset with a penalty decision or one one that wasn't given uh, on Brandon Thomas Asante at nil nil in the first half, where Ben Gibson uh, appeared to to pull him back, and um, uh, and uh, and uh, he, he did definitely get something on the ball, but um, Corbran made it very clear in the post match that he felt that uh, that Thomas Asante was fouled. There was also obviously the handball decision for the disallowed goal. Now, I I personally think, I'm not going to sit here and be biased, I honestly think the referees probably got both decisions right. I don't think that's a penalty, and I do think the ball makes contact with uh, with Thomas Asante's hand as uh, as the build-up to the goal goes. But when we're talking home versus away, Pete, do you think that though both of those decisions get given against Albion if that game is at the Hawthorns because they're both fairly marginal decisions there's a brush of the arm from from Thomas Asante but it's not absolutely clear I had to watch multiple replays before I was sure that it hit his arm similarly with the penalty decision when I saw it the first time I thought we're definitely going to get given a penalty and then when I saw it from another angle I saw how much of the ball Gibson got so they're both marginal decisions and both in real time I didn't necessarily expect to be given against us so they're decisions that you would say in real time could go either way do you feel that at the Hawthorns, we quite possibly could have got one of those decisions, even even if I think we're both on the same page that we we don't think Corbran has quite the case that he thinks he does for um for that having should have been a penalty. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I didn't really think it was a penalty and thought it was a handball. So I think the referee got both right, but they were decisions that were were tight calls. We've seen similar decisions go the opposite way. And we've probably called them out on here for being wrong decisions and a mistake by the referee. But in this situation, I thought that they were right. Had the game been at the Hawthorns and we got the home crowd, then there might have been the pressure on the referee to give it the other way. And it it may well have happened, um, which is basically what the studies that have looked at home advantage in general and then compared it to the COVID season where there weren't any crowds. That's where a big difference was made in the amount of fouls and, well, the difference in the number of fouls and yellow cards from home side to away side and then from COVID season to regular season where fans are. And it basically concluded that the fans made an impact on the referee's decision-making. Um, so had had those had the game been played at the Hawthorns and Albion were at home with the, the home support, maybe the referee would have given it the opposite way. Um, I don't think it would have been the right call, but it's the kind of, it's just kind of those marginal things that might just impact the referee's decision and might force him to make an error and Albion benefit, which... I think we can all agree is what we want, even if it was a, even if it would have been a little bit of an error from the referee. Absolutely, and uh, one of the players who who slung one of those balls in uh, for the for for the the goal that was disallowed um, was Connor Townsend. Now, and I, I'm sure there'll be people at home listening go, going, "Oh, here he goes again, Connor Townsend bandwagon." Actually. <laughs> it's not that on this because you prompted this, Pete. You you sent me a message this morning with 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 a screenshot um, showing the expected threat of Albion players. Now I, I found it noticeable that after the game, and part of the reason that I'm bringing it up is this: I just find the narrative really boring and lazy at times. That every time we lose a game, 
it's always got to be the fullbacks that get targeted. You know that that it's it's the fullbacks that are the, that are at fault. That it's the fullbacks that cost us the game. I personally don't think that I don't think the fullbacks cost cost us either goal. Although I have to say, Furlong was didn't cover himself in glory on the second uh, second goal, and he did not have a particularly good game. His passing was awful. Seventy percent pass completion in the first half. It was down at about sixty two. So I'm not I'm not sitting here and saying that the two fullbacks had a good game. I thought full, uh, Furlong actually had an awful game, um, but he didn't cost us either goal. And and Townsend, quite the opposite, doesn't cost us either goal, but also actually generated most of our, our better chances in in the game. Obviously, he put the ball in for the disallowed goal, which really doesn't uh, doesn't actually count that much in terms of the XG, because obviously with it being a disallowed goal, it doesn't go down as a shot. But and just overall i thought he was a, he was a real attacking threat and, and and then that was immediately prompted by something you sent to me this this morning pete and i'll let you talk about the the information that you found but i i've never understood this about a section of our support that they seem to need to have somebody that they they don't like that 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 they that they have a go at and uh, and that is at fault every time we lose some you know norwich have got the seventh best home record in the entire division. Carrow Road was not an easy place to go. And uh, and to lose there, w- having the better of the majority of the game is not something that we need to find a, a bunch of players to lambast on and, and start saying things like they're not good enough for this division, which are which are the things that I'm seeing certain people say on, on social media and some people who were, who were on WM were saying as well. And... I don't agree with it at all. Uh, I, I, as I say, I think Furlong was pretty poor yesterday, but that doesn't mean that over uh, any player can have a poor game. Yukoslu had a very poor game. Doesn't mean he's not good enough for this division. Similarly with Furlong, he had a very poor game yesterday, but it doesn't mean he's not good enough for this division. And it just seems like the trigger goes every time we lose a game. Let's blame the fullbacks. Let's have a go at the fullbacks, and it's it's lazy. But it's also it's not it's not accurate, and furthermore, I just don't think it's helpful. I don't I don't really understand why there has to be players that we that that, that a section of our fan base feels the need to get uh, to get on the back of Pete and Connor Townsend in particular does not deserve any criticism for yesterday, does he? Well, Townsend was basically our most creative player. I said earlier we were limited to generally just putting crosses into the box and um a lot of these came from Townsend and I thought on the whole um they were pretty good crosses um and we created a few chances from them. If you look at expected assists, he had the second highest in the squad, only behind uh, Nathaniel Chalaber. In my data I've got him as having the most progressive passes of any Albion player. So move the ball forward into into more advanced areas. I've also got him as having the the highest expected threat of any Albion player. So that's him putting the ball into dangerous areas. Um, I've also got him as having the most passes into the penalty area and the most crosses into the penalty area, Pete. Yeah, so when we're we're behind for most of the game, you need players that are going to create chances and move the ball into dangerous positions. And that's what Conor Townsend did and arguably better than anyone else on the pitch for Albion did. So, yeah, I think sometimes you've got to... You can't just analyse a fullback's performance on did they defend really well. I don't think he... Made too many mistakes defensively, if any. I can't think of any off the top of my head. He was a bit far forward for the for the Norwich first goal when they 
play the ball forwards, but I think it's kind of a gamble between if Kipre or someone intercepts that ball, then Townsend's ahead of the Norwich players and we've got a chance to transition. I don't know if he could have really done anything if he'd get any further back anyway, so it's probably worth to take that gamble. Either way, the point is that you've got to analyse them in the situation that they're in. Townsend's main job for most of the game against Norwich was to create chances, put crosses in and create chances that way, which I think he did quite well. Furlong, I thought was... I don't think he had a bad game, but I thought he just had a, a, an average game. Um, the level was below what we've seen of him in the last couple of weeks, where I think he's been excellent. I just but, felt his passing was terrible, Pete. I really did, and and, uh, and I, you know, I, do, I, I mean, like I say, particularly first half, where I think he came in at half time with about sixty-two percent pass completion rate. That's that's not good enough for a fullback. No, but again, I think on the situation, a lot of the time his role seemed to be to get forward and almost acts as a striker when we're trying to put crosses into the box. Um, obviously, he's got aerial ability and trying to ghost in without being picked up is probably part of that. You know, he was right behind, right behind uh, Brandon when he put the ball into the net and was given it as being a handball. And there's a couple of other times when he was getting into the box to um, try and attack crosses. So I think you've got to judge him on that as well, rather than just his, his passing and his defensive game. Like I say, I'm not saying he had a good game, but he maybe had a different role to what you'd expect a fullback to be. He had the, the th- third highest number of touches in the opposition penalty area of any Albion player. Um, and that was only behind, I think it was Brandon Thomas, Sante, Andy Vyman. So, it's not just as simple as he's a fullback. If we can see goals, he's terrible. I think Furlong offers a lot, and on the whole, this season I think he's been excellent. It's been one of his best seasons for us, I think, and Corbran's really getting the most out of him. So I really but don't. Do you, understand. Why do you think people can't see this though? Because uh, be, because uh, I mean, as I said before, Jed, uh, Jed Wallace. You, if you if we talk about the, the the John Swift chance, I bet you. Pretty much every Albion fan knows Jed Wallace pulled that ball back for uh, for for John Swift to to miss the chance, which was the chance of the game for us. You know, um, you know, zero point two four xg for John Swift, and a player of his quality should be burying that chance. There's no doubt in my mind. But I think if you said to a lot of Albion fans who put the ball in for 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 Brandon Thomas Asante's disallowed goal. I bet I bet there's quite a few, and normally the ones who don't like the fullbacks, who wouldn't be able to tell you, or certainly wouldn't want to tell you. Is there just a blind spot for from from fans on the good things that the the fullbacks do in attacking areas? Do, do these things get missed by some supporters? Yeah, maybe. I, I don't really know what it is. Maybe it's because it's not what you traditionally expect of a fullback, and with Furlong coming inside a lot of the time as well and playing a bit of an inverted role, it's it's not what you'd expect of a traditional fullback. So Furlong, who nearly won us a penalty as well, by the way, with an absolutely brilliant run, which uh, John Swift picked out. If he gets there a, a millisecond earlier, the keeper brings him down and we get a penalty. Exactly, and it's these things where maybe you wouldn't expect it from your fullback. And so then when you think and analyse the game, you're thinking he's not... He's not doing what I'd expect a fullback to do, so he's not good enough. Whereas it's probably more down to it just being a different role, and he's not being asked to do what you'd expect a fullback to do. So maybe, it's, maybe it's that. I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's just different things that different people value on a football pitch, or we're just seeing it seeing it very differently. Because I think Furlong's having an excellent season. I think Townsend's having a good season, and is in general a good player. And his ability on the ball and to pass it forward is is been very good for the past three or four seasons since he came into the squad in that 
well, came into the starting eleven regularly in that Premier League season that we had and was probably the standout performer other than Johnston in that Premier League season and Pereira, of course. But either way, I think I think both are very good options at fullback for this level. Um, I've been saying that for a long time. Other people think that neither are good enough for this level. Um, so who knows had, what it I is. I had somebody on social media say to me, we'll never get promoted with those two uh, at fullback. That's a fact. <laughs> to which I had to point out, we've already been promoted with both of them at fullback. Yeah, exactly. We've, yeah, we've already had had promotion with them, those two. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I know that the argument's quite often that we've not done anything about him for however many transfer windows, but maybe the fact that we've not looked to change them um, says something about how people value them that are within the Albion setup. And well, that's a lot of Albion managers who've trusted both of those two. There's got to be a reason for that. It's not. It's not just purely down to down to lack of options, is it? No, and I mean, Furlong's got a couple of particularly standout traits. He's got his long throw, which is an excellent weapon, um, and I think can sometimes be undervalued by supporters and by just football clubs in general. If you've got a player that can do that, then it's such a such a dangerous tool to have and a great way to create chances and create chaos in the box. Um, he's got that, and I suppose the other the standout quality of his is, is aerial ability. Um, as a fullback, he's excellent in the air, and you don't get many wingers or fullbacks that he comes up against. That what a brilliant header last week for Brandon Thomas Asante's goal. Yeah, exactly. And I was running the numbers earlier this week, and of the um, of the top eleven players in the championship, top eleven field players in the championship in terms of aerial duels won in their own box, Arwin have got four of those top eleven. And I think I've given away one already by talking about Darnell Furlong. But do you want to have a guess on the other the well, other three, Chris? Well, one one has got to be Bartley, and I I, I saw I saw that he, actually he is second in the division for expected goals uh, per ninety in centre halves, which which I found staggering given that people criticise our set plays as well. So I'm presuming Bartley's one of them. Yep, Bartley's one. And then uh, Yukoslu. Yukoslu, yep, second. Have I got them all there, or am I missing one? You're missing one. So we've got Furlong, Bartley, Bartley. and Yukuzlu. And then. Well, the other's this... got to be Kipre, surely. Yep. I think Kipre was ranked 11th for outfield players. So, I mean, that's a big part of what Furlong offers. Um, you know, it's a separate discussion about how useful that is and how good we are at set pieces. And the spoiler of that is that we're the best team in the division for defending and, and attacking set pieces. Um, but having those players in there and Furlong being one of them. To win headers in your own box is is such an important thing, and despite him, I don't know his height off the top of my head. I'd guess five ten, five eleven. Um, despite not being a massive player, he's got such a good leap and is so strong in the air. It's really important for a lot of the way we play. Um, I've, we just talked about headers one in, in our own box. So defending our own box, um, he's quite often an out ball from Palmer kicking it to just kind of flick it on. If Palmer goes long, win that header on the on the sideline and flick it on. And then against Norwich, he was trying to get into the box to win headers. And, you know, we saw him do it against Blackburn to, to win that header, uh, to knock it down for Tom Sassante. So, I mean, even if you just look at those two strengths, I don't think there's enough weaknesses to a furlong to outweigh those two strengths to make him a poor championship fullback. And that's, you know, that's just completely ignoring any other strengths that he's got. You're only focusing on his main two there. So, yeah, long story short, I think both fullbacks are, good options for this division and I don't understand the the mass criticism that they seem to get whenever either of them has a poor game. 
No, uh, me either. Uh, six foot, by the way, according to uh, according to the various websites, Darnell Furlong. So, still unbelievable leap on him. Just two players I want to I want to quickly touch on before we finish, Pete. <laughs> I'll start with the one that's a little bit of a rehash of uh, of last week. But I mean, I'm I'm just gonna I'm just I'm just gonna reiterate it two weeks in in a row. Um, Alex Mowat, nearly. Twice as many um, passes into the final third as the next player. Nearly three times as many uh, progressive passes. Most progressive carries, most shot-creating actions. He is everything to what we do going forward, isn't he? I mean, he's just he he's just a metronome in in, in the middle of that in in the middle of that park. And it's it's easy to sit there and and talk about how important Yukoslu is, and he absolutely is, but genuinely and this is a really hard question to ask because because each player is important in the, in a different way but is alex mowat the single most indispensable player in the west bromwich albion team at this moment in time i think you'd struggle to argue against that when you think back i don't know how we coped without him before he came into the squad because it was, it was what about eight games before he made an appearance this season and now he's in the team he just i can't imagine us playing without him he just keeps the ball moving around Against Norwich, he was so important to just, you know, taking off players, moving it forward into more advanced positions to allow other players to create chances. Um, you know, if if we couldn't go at one wing, he'd be there to support it from behind, move it around the pitch and try the other wing. And yeah, his passing is just unbelievable. And, and he's so good in his, in his jewels as well. If he, if he gets involved in and gets tight enough to a man where he's ready to tackle him, there's not many times that he doesn't come out with the ball and, or with a foul as well. He draws fouls so well um, just by having players on his back. He knows when he can go down and win the free kick if he if he wants to win it. Um, it's yeah, I wouldn't call it buying free kicks, but he can get some soft ones just because he knows when it's. The phrase it's there to I be use, won. Pete, I always use with him is he uses his body extremely well. Yeah, exactly that. He forces players to to push through the back of him, and then then it's a free kick if he wants it. Yeah, and he he sets the tempo for our passing. He's always an option. Ah, excuse me. He's always an option and always secure um, with his passing, and very rarely gives it away. So he's yeah, an excellent player. And yeah, I don't think you can find anyone that's that's more important to what we're doing at the minute. I just want to quickly talk about our new signing, Pete. We got our first uh, first look at Andy Vyman uh, in the second half against uh, against Norwich as he came on for for Adam Reach. Who, who also, by the way, uh, is apparently a little bit of an injury concern. That was a that was a knock why he came off. What do you think of Vyman? Uh, the the in terms of numbers, um, three progressive passes, which is you know pretty decent for for forty five minutes. Um, one shot on goal, which uh, had zero point one three xg. I know some people say, oh, he's got to bury that. Well, it only kind of goes in just over one in one in every ten times, but. I do think he should be. He should probably be doing more to hit the target there than uh, the, than he did. There was another one which was a brilliant run where it, it's absolutely criminal that Jed Wallace doesn't slip him in. To be honest with you, Jed un, unusually selfish for him taking a shot from twenty five yards when the much better ball was sliding it into the channel for for Andy Vyman. My personal opinion is. I, I I was really impressed. Like I I thought he I thought he livened us up. 
He won a couple of headers in the penalty area, which uh, at six foot two. And I didn't realize until I wrote the article for our Substack the other the other day that he was six foot two. But he he provides us a lot of a lot of height. He's um uh, he he's got um he he's got really really good aerial numbers as well. I just think he brings quite a lot to the team. He's got he he's he's got real energy. He's obviously an a, an attacking threat. I think he's got to get his sharpness in front of goal back because, as I say, he shouldn't be missing by quite as much as he did with uh, with that shot. But I, I was really encouraged by 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 what I but I by what I saw from him, and I thought we were a much better side in an offensive sense in the second half with him on the pitch than we were without him in the first half. Yeah, I thought it was a really promising debut for him, having 0.35 expected goals and expected assists in 45 minutes is is very good. You know, if he can continue doing that over 90 minutes and regularly, then, you know, he's going to be looking at a, an assist or a goal almost every almost every game with him. So it's, I thought it was a really promising performance. He, he did well in terms of, he had that chance. Um, obviously, he didn't do too well with the chance, but he got it, which is the promising thing. Created a, a chance for, was it DK with a knockdown? Um, obviously, you mentioned the area, aerial ability. I think I was the same as you. I didn't realise how tall he actually was until... I was actually doing a bit of research on it and having that aerial ability is, is huge. It's just mentioned that we're the, probably the, well, we are the best team in terms of set pieces in the division. Um, and having somebody that's six foot two is only going to help that. Um, so I think there's a lot of positives there. Um, and we're a bit scary if we've, if we've got, um, Kipre Bartley, Furlong, Yukoslu, DK and Vyman all on the pitch at the same time. That's got to be pretty terrifying, hasn't it? Yeah, exactly. And we've already got, I think we've got the second highest expected goals from set pieces in the division. And I think it's the second highest in terms of, or the second lowest in terms of expected goals against for set pieces that we're facing. So to add another body to, to there and, and to have Daryl DK back as well. Yeah, if you've got a, a starting lineup with those players, Furlong, Bartley, Kipre, Yukuzlu, um, Vyman and Daryl Zike, it's it's a lot of very big players that are good in the air. So I imagine we'll, we'd only get more dangerous with set pieces that we're taking and only more solid with set pieces that we're um, we're facing. And just to add to that as well, because we've just spoken about him, with those players on the pitch and with Moat's delivery, you'd expect us to be a very a very big threat from set pieces because his delivery is quite often very, very good. Well, that's a positive note to end it on after what was a pretty disappointing performance at Carrow Road. Unfortunately, Albion going down 2-0 to Norwich City. But let's hope that um, whilst the away form has been poor, that um, and, and Albion have been something of a Jekyll and Hyde, that uh, we see the uh, the Albion that we've been used to um at the Hawthorns against Wolves on Sunday morning, eleven forty-five a.m. kickoff. Um, I think we're all. Well, I don't know as we're all looking forward to it. I think we're all going. We're all going to be glued to that uh, to that one um, and uh, soaking up the atmosphere. I, I, I'll be honest. I'm one of these people. I'm not necessarily sure I can ever completely enjoy a derby um, because. It, it it it's just too much nerve. I think even in the five one, it took me until the fourth goal where I completely settled down and started to really really enjoy it. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be an intriguing fixture, and we will obviously be back on the podcast after that game to review that game. But there will be plenty of build up to it on our Substack as well. So 
It's obviously Albion Analysis on Substack. Find us on there. If you're struggling to find us, obviously we've got the X account, Albion Analysis, and there's links to pretty much every article that we do on Substack. As I say, there's going to be stuff around the home and away form this week. We're also, uh, I'm also going to do a bit of a preview of the Wolves game, looking at previous encounters at, at the Hawthorns um, against Wolves. It won't surprise you to know that I'm probably going to go post-1996 and look at those. So, uh, yeah, there might be a, there might be quite a bit to enjoy there. So please have a look at the Substack, have a look at the articles, give them a read, give them a like if you enjoy them, and please, please, please just... Um, Give us a subscribe as well. Please do. Uh, you know, uh, if you're enjoying the content, we're well aware of the fact that there's not uh, part of the reason that we've dialed up the content is because Pete and I are not happy that there's not enough Albion content out there at the moment. Um, that I, I think that the decision to move Joe Chapman off being an Albion reporter by by Reach PLC is is a disgrace i think it shows how little they appreciate local football and local football coverage um it certainly wasn't by any stretch of the imagination joe's decision you could tell from the messages he put out on social media he was pretty gutted to not be uh, not be covering the baggies anymore you've now got um the express and star putting their content behind a paywall a lot of it and um you know it's you're not even getting all albion content there so there's not a lot of uh, there's not a lot of albion content out there. there's not a lot of exclusive the albion content out there so we, you know, we're, we're not traditional reporters in in the in the regular sense, but hopefully, what we can bring you is a bit of content um, around the numbers, bit of information, bit of opinion, just some 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 stuff to scratch that Albion itch as the week goes on, and hopefully, we can fill a bit of a void for you whilst um, whilst other larger uh, media companies are showing a total lack of appreciation and respect to the football club. Um, hopefully we can we can fill that void a little bit for you so have a look if you like it subscribe if you don't don't it's that simple but until next time thanks for listening and up the baggies Albion have certainly been sharing the goals around this season. They're well into double figures now for different championship goal scorers. So why not take a leaf out of their book and do some sharing of your own with a McNuggets share box? Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.